right, this morning we're continuing in our series on living in his story, and uh, we're shifting a little bit. We've been in the Pentateuch, the Torah, the last several weeks. We spent some time in Genesis, and then uh, then we looked at, the last couple weeks, we looked at an overarching view of seeing Jesus in the Torah. This morning we're going to shift to the Psalms. The next three weeks we're going to be looking at the story of Jesus through the Psalms. This morning we're going to be in Psalm 22. Next week uh, we're going to be in Psalm 2. And I'm so excited about this. Uh, Danny Conicelli will be uh, preaching next Sunday for the first time here at Parker Ford. So that's really exciting. You can be in prayer for Danny as uh, he prepares. We've been uh, getting together and, and praying through and working through the scriptures together. It's been really joyful. So I'm really looking forward to that. This morning we're going to uh, start in Psalm uh, 22 which is quoted by uh, three different New Testament writers. It's quoted, Psalm 22 is quoted three times in Mark chapter 15. It's quoted by the Apostle John in reflecting on the crucifixion. And it's also quoted by the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter uh, 2. So this psalm speaks about Jesus in ways that many of the New Testament writers picked up on and were looking at. This morning, we're going to talk about stories. Look at your neighbor and say, let's talk about stories. I love stories. I love stories so much. I'm a story guy. I like listening to stories. I like reading stories. I like telling stories. And sometimes I've been known to embellish stories. (laughs) Never. The stories we tell shape the way that we see the world. It's incredibly, incredibly true. Such an important lesson for us to learn. The stories that we tell shape the way that we see the world. You have a voice in your head that's always talking, right? You have that voice that's always narrating your life. You are always living out a story, and you're your own narrator. (laughs) You're telling your story. And as you live your story, The way in which you tell your story is shaping the way in which you live out your story. I came across this uh, quote actually this week um, in just a book I'm reading in my my own time by Scott McKnight, who's a New Testament theologian. He released a book last year called uh, Pastor Paul. It's lessons that we can learn about pastoring from Paul as a pastor. And he has uh, an entire chapter about cultivating a culture of storytelling in churches. And this is so timely. I'm reading this, and I had already planned that this morning would be a morning where we're talking about stories. So as I read this, I, I just sensed the Holy Spirit uh, speaking. So this is what he says, and I could not agree with it more. He says, we are born storytellers. And consciously or not, so whether or not we're aware of it, we all indwell a story. Whether or not you're aware of it, you are living out a story. We make sense of life with a story we tell ourselves, and when something doesn't fit, a tragedy, a death, a failed marriage, a broken career, we find a story that turns what doesn't fit into something that does fit. In a carnal sense, this might be called spin, right? We spin it, but this is actually a gift from God, to be able to take really difficult things and reframe it in a life-giving way. That's actually uh, an important life skill and strength for us. 
He goes on to say, we also love to read stories, and some enter the world of fiction to escape the dominant ideological narratives of our day. That is, to find a better world to indwell. Especially children who grow up in abusive situations or, or things like that, often a story is a way to escape the brutal reality of day-to-day -day life and enter into a better promise, a better hope. I know for me, I, I've, uh, I love reading fiction. Over Christmas, um, I got totally hooked on this uh, fantasy, Christian fantasy series that I borrowed from the colleges, and it had been uh, sitting on my shelf. I had intended to read it to my kids, and I started to read it, and they weren't quite ready for it. And so it was just sitting there, and I was like, well, I'm just going to read it. And so I read, like, I think there's, there's four books, right? And then I ended up buying an anthology, which is an extra thing. I read all five of them in about three weeks. And I just got, like, sucked in to this story. And this has happened over and over in my life where you get drawn into this compelling story. And it's a way to see the world in a different, life-giving, beautiful way. And I think that's what McKnight is getting at when he says that we read in order to find a better world to indwell. This is what I experience when I read the Chronicles of Narnia or when I read the Lord of the Rings or, you know, when I'm, when I'm seeing how the world is meant to be or could be. Um, yeah, we are born storytellers, and that's a good thing. This is why I keep saying each week, in Christ, your story has been woven into the fabric of his story. Your story is no longer your own. In Christ, like the lives of those we read about in the scriptures, I'm switching to plural here, our lives are part of the grander, all-encompassing story of God. It is the story of his son, Jesus Christ, that is being told in our daily lives. The gospel is not a formula to get out of hell and go to heaven. The gospel is a story. It's the story of Jesus God sent to earth and lived as a man who indwelled the very story of Israel, who fulfilled all the laws and the prophets, who carried with him every weight of sin to the cross and through the cross overcame sin, death, and the grave. And part of that story beautiful, beautiful part of that story is redemption from sin and eternal life promised through Jesus Christ. So don't hear me say otherwise. But the gospel is the story of Jesus that's told from Genesis 1 to the last chapter in Revelation. We need to learn this as the people of God. We need to embody this. We need to live this out. Alright, this is a little bit of a funny sentence, but what I want to talk about this morning is the story of and the story on the cross. The story of and the story on the cross. So I have a question for you. Jesus had a voice that spoke in his head. He was fully man, just like us. What story was Jesus telling himself when he was on the cross? Jesus was spread out, being mocked, nails beaten through his hands, through his feet, stretched out, held up, 
What was the story he was telling himself? The narratives that we tell ourselves, the story that we believe about the nature of life and our circumstances shapes the way that we will experience them. If Jesus was on the cross and the story he would have told of himself and of us is God has fully abandoned me. Look around. I'm God's son. And this is what they've done to me. Is that the story that Jesus told? No. He had a story that he believed. He had the story of the Hebrew scriptures and the promises spoken over him that he was indwelling and living out. This isn't a sermon about the power of positive thinking. This is a sermon about the story that we believe we are a part of will shape the way that we walk through the things that we walk through. The suffering, the pain. Jesus had a story that he believed in. A story that his father was telling from the beginning of time. And what I'd like to submit to you this morning is that the story that Jesus was telling was Psalm 22. This is the story that Jesus was telling himself and to us. Before we get there, I have this quote I want to share with you by Albert Einstein. He said this, Albert Einstein, who uh, it's questionable whether or not Einstein believed in God. He said some things that tend to look like he did, and he said many other things that make him look like an atheist. So it's debatable whether or not Einstein believed in God. But I find this to be incredibly insightful and profound. He said this. Have you guys seen this before or heard this? Einstein said, I think the most important question facing humanity is, is the universe a friendly place? This is Einstein, arguably the most brilliant man on earth at that time. The main question is, is the world the universe, a friendly place. Now listen to his logic. This is the first and most basic question all people must answer for themselves. For if we decide that the universe is unfriendly, is an unfriendly place, then we will use our technology, our scientific discoveries, and our natural resources to achieve safety and power by creating bigger walls to keep out the unfriendliness and bigger weapons to destroy all that which is unfriendly. And I believe that we are getting to a place where technology is powerful enough that we may either completely isolate or destroy ourselves as well in this process. He said that like 60 years ago. Can we all not agree with this? <laughs> This is the story that is playing out. This is the story that the world has believed. I would frame it a little bit differently as Christians because I don't think at the center of all things is some abstract thing called the universe. Both at the center of all things in the universe and outside of the universe holding the entire cosmos together is a God. And so the key question is not, is the universe friendly or not? 
Is the story that's being told a good story or not in the universe? The key question is actually this. Is God good? This is the key question. Is God good? Apologetics, uh, which is the discipline of, of essentially arguing for the logic nature of God being real and his scriptures being trustworthy. It's an ancient practice in Christianity. Christians have been practicing apologetics from the very first disciples on to today. In America, in our culture, the main apologetic question that people have is not, is there a God? It's not, it's not really that question, although some people still have that question. That's sort of a modernity question. In post-modernity, in the culture that we live in, the main question is, if there's a God, is he good? How can we read about genocide in the Old Testament and say that God is good? Or does God hate gay people? Or does God hate women? Or does God, this is the question. These are the questions that the culture is asking. And I think it's actually the right question. And our answer as the people of God, by the way that we live and the way that we tell the story of Jesus, is to be a resounding yes. God is good. But that means his goodness is not limited to our experience of temporary circumstances. It can't just be that God is good if things are going well for us. It has to be that God is good, period. And I think this is why, of all the scriptures, of all the Psalms, 150 Psalms, what did Jesus choose to quote when he was on the cross? when all in the world and all in the universe seemed as if it was indeed not good. The Apostle John wrote in 1 John 4 this really famous passage. He says, by this we know that we abide in him. In other words, that's just a fancy way of saying this is how we know if we live in in Jesus. And he lives in us. How do we know it? We know it because he's given us his spirit. Verse 14, and we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Testify is a way of saying we're telling a story through our lives. We're telling the story through our lives that God sent his son to be the savior of the world. He says, whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected within us, with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. Now listen to this. There is no what? There is no fear in love. There's no fear in love. This word fear in the Greek is phabos. Everybody say phabos. What do you think 
Phobos is the root for? Phobia. <laughs> Fabio. <laughs> yeah, our phobias. There, I have uh, just, I was up early this morning, and I'm strange. So I pulled up my, my uh, computer, and I just typed in list of phobias. Um, and uh, on a medical site, I found this list of, it. they called it the sum of all fears so far. And there's 100 phobias that are listed here. Some, some are really interesting, like um, electrophobia, which is the fear of chickens. And um, yeah, there's some really strange ones. Then there's some ones that really make sense to me. There's uh, a legophobia, which is the fear of pain. There's androphobia, which is fear of men. There's autophobia. This might be the one I've felt the most in my life. Autophobia, which is the fear of being alone. Catagolophobia, which is the fear of being ridiculed. The English word phobia comes from the Greek word phobos. There is no phobia in love. But perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with what? Punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God. I love God. But I'm not really into you. He's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has actually seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. I don't care how different that brother is. I don't care what that brother believes that you think is crazy. If you love God, you love your brother. Let's go to Psalm 22, shall we? This is the psalm that Jesus quoted on the cross. Um, <laughs> I think that Nancy and I were talking about this yesterday, Nancy Elliot Carter and I, about how the psalms in Jewish culture back in the first century and earlier, they wouldn't have referenced them by the number. They would have referenced them by the first line of the psalm. So that would be like me saying, um, oh man, I've just been going through a season of Psalm 23. All of you would know basically what I mean, right? It's like shorthand. Or my favorite psalm throughout my life has been Psalm 27. If I say to my wife, Juliet, I'm feeling Psalm 27 today, she's going to know exactly what I mean. It's shorthand for the whole thing. So when Jesus on the cross said the first line of this psalm, he was saying, the whole psalm. He was, it was shorthand for this is what my soul is crying out. Not just this line, but the entire thing. What was the story that Jesus chose to believe when he was spread out on the cross? This is the story that he chose to believe. My God, my God, Eli, Eli, Sabachthani, 
my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. If he's quoting this whole thing, if, if him saying the first line is shorthand for the whole thing, think about this for a second. Hebrews 12, 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which cleans so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the what? Shame. And is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus on the cross, the story he's believing is this. Get you are holy, enthroned on the praises of, e of Israel. Our fathers trusted you even when things looked like they couldn't get any worse. Still they trusted you. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, David, down through. The saints cried out to you in their times of trouble and distress when all was dark and you heard them and you rescued them. They trusted in you and you delivered them and they were not put to shame. Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. But I am a worm and not a man scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. Look, it's the king of the Jews. Look, he said he could tear down the temple and rebuild it in three days. If you can do that, then come down from the cross. Call to God and he'll send a legion of angels to save you. Verse 8, he trusts in the Lord. Let God deliver him. Let God rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. You know the modern hymn where we sing... Um, I'm blanking on the title of it. Uh, the Father Turns His Face Away. What's that? Uh, what's that hymn? Father Turns His Face Away. How great. Yeah, it's a great song. That's not true. And theologians have pointed that out. That, that, that line's not, a, that's inaccurate. 
even in the deepest darkness of pain and suffering, the Father did not turn his face away. Even when all had seemed completely forsaken and abandoned, God was still there. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. That's just like saying, it's like there was a stampede that you dropped me in the middle of. They open wide their mouths at me like a raving and roaring lion. I'm poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. If you read the message translation, Eugene Peterson's, what he says here is, I'm like a bucket of water sitting on the dry ground that gets kicked over and spilled because no one cares about it. And I'm like a candle. There's like a candle inside of my bones that melts down and drips into my intestines. My strength is dried up like a dry pot and my tongue sticks to my jaws, the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. This is quoted by Mark in 15, Mark chapter 15. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. For my clothing they cast lots. He had just lived through this, right? He had just lived through this, where the soldiers took his clothes and cast lots for it. Verse 19, but you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name, to my brothers. This is what uh, the writer of Hebrews quotes in Hebrews chapter 2. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. Think about this. Jesus on the cross. This is the story he's telling. I, in the midst of this darkness and pain, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. When you and I are going, bearing our cross and going through times of deep suffering, is this the cry of our heart? Is this the story we're telling? I'm going to praise you in the midst of the congregation, God. You who fear the Lord, praise him. We just read in 1 John 4 that there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. The Hebrew word for fear, um, it's got a fun pronunciation that I'm going to destroy. It's yara, this word here, yara, and it's a little bit different. It's not talking about phobias. It's talking about reverence of God, awe of God. You who fear the Lord, you who have reverence for God, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in all of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. I can't get over how amazing it is. This is what Jesus is quoting as he's being crucified. You have not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. Think about that. Let that sink in. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. 
even as he's crying out, my God, my God, he knows and trusts that God has heard. Verse 25, from you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. Same word in Hebrew. Um, Many of you have probably heard me say this before. God is jealous of our fear. God is jealous of what you're afraid of because you worship what you fear. Whatever you are afraid of, you worship it. It becomes an idol that receives your adoration. Because what do we do with the things that we're afraid of? We think about them. We talk about them. We lie awake at night, anxious over them. We spend money. We throw money at them. We buy books to deal with them. My friends, add that all up, and that equals worship. You worship what you fear. Fear is the beginning of wisdom. It also says in Proverbs, fear of the Lord is the beginning of worship. God is jealous of our fears. Anything that we are afraid of other than him, he says, give it to me. Perfect love casts out fear. This is an amazing thing in this transformation process. When the disciples feel fear over and over again, what does Jesus say to them? Why were you afraid? Do not be afraid. When they're afraid of the storm that they're going to capsize and drown, and Jesus wakes up and stills the storm, what does he say to them? Why were you afraid? Why were you afraid? All our fear belongs to God. The afflicted, verse 26, the afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord because of the cross. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord because of Jesus walking and enduring the cross. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you because of the cross. For kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. And all the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust. Even the one who could not keep himself alive, posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. That he has done it. And brothers and sisters, what are the final words that Jesus says on the cross? Say aloud. It is finished. How does this psalm end? He has done it. Isn't that awesome? I'm telling you, when Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was telling the whole story, not just that line. Isaiah 41 is about the people of Israel, but it's also a chapter that's saying all the surrounding nations will come and worship the one true God. And this is what it says. Fear not, don't fear, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. We are not a people of fear. This is not our story. Our story is not one of fear. Part of our story is reverence and fear of God. 
We are to fear the Lord. But over and over again, what God says to his beloved, like he said to Joshua, do not be afraid, be strong and courageous. For I, the Lord your God, am with you and have gone before you. We are not a people of fear. This is also why I want to address why I want to teach the Sunday school class on how do we live without fear in the midst of an election here. <laughs> because everything we're going to hear in the news, everything that the politicians running for office, what they're going to try to do is to tell you that unless I am elected, you need to be afraid. That is the core message. That is the key message of the world. Be afraid unless you buy this. Be afraid unless you, uh, you eat this. Be afraid unless you do this exercise routine. Be afraid unless you do this diet. Be afraid unless you sell this. Be afraid unless you make enough money. Be afraid, be afraid, be afraid, be afraid, be afraid. And all of mankind's attempts to reach God are based in trying to control fear. This is a Skyjathani insight, among with many other theologians. This is why people in the ancient world sacrificed children, because they were afraid, and they thought they could control the gods through that fear, through that uh, sacrifice. We serve a God who says, do not be afraid. We are not a people of fear. Jesus Christ has overcome sin, death, and the grave. Amen? There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ. The message of Jesus to his children is never be afraid. So if you hear that and you're asking, is this from God, what is your answer to be? there is a voice that's telling you to be afraid of anything other than fearing the Lord, you say to that voice, return to where you came from. We have nothing to fear because there is nothing that can remove us from the love of God. We have nothing to fear because of the story that we believe and the story that we partake in. We need to separate out here carefully. Let me do one last little bit of teaching here. We need to separate fear from grief. We are a people who grieve. We are a people who feel sad and sorrowful. We are a people who mourn. Second beatitude, blessed are those who mourn. We are a people who grieve when there's unrighteousness and injustice. But that is not the same thing as being afraid. We are a people who go through pain and are honest about it. That's not the same thing as being afraid. We've had several deaths in the last month, and I've spent time with grieving families. And so if you're going through a time of deep suffering or pain, do not hear me say that you're not allowed to suffer or feel pain. That is not what I'm saying. I'm saying as you go through it, as we go through it, we have nothing to fear. Because the love of God pursues us, even to the darkest places of pain and suffering. Can you hear that? Today, as we approach the communion table, what I'd like to invite us to do is reflect upon Christ's sacrificial love. He took upon himself the full weight of sin. He is our perfect high priest. As you consume the broken body and shed blood of Christ, Allow the Spirit of God through His love to cast out any spirit of fear. In Christ, there is no room for fear of man, dread of the future, fear of death. 
fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But Jesus left this promise with his disciples. On the, as he was about to go to the cross, this is what he says. This, listen, the story we tell ourselves, the story we believe, shapes the way that we live life. This is what Jesus said as he was about to go to the cross. I've said these things to you, that in me you may have what? Peace. Peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. <laughs> I'm glad he said that. In the world, it's going to be tough. It's going to be really hard, which is why he's given us the gift of grief. But take heart. I have overcome the world. So I have this question for you as we approach the communion table today. Has God actually asked you to be afraid of the things that you're afraid of? All of us can pull up a list of things we're afraid of. Has God actually asked you to be afraid of that thing? Is that fear that you feel, is it from the Spirit of God or is it from the world? One last thing. I know this is a lot this morning. This could have been several sermons. As I was looking this morning at the list of phobias, I just, as an exercise, I pulled out about 10 of them that if I were Jesus on the cross, I would have been feeling. So think about this. Think about these phobias as you think about the cross. Acluophobia, the fear of darkness. What was there over the earth for three hours? Algophobia, the fear of pain. Agoraphobia, the fear of public spaces and crowds. Androphobia, the fear of men. Autophobia, the fear of being alone. Catagolophobia, the fear of being ridiculed. Chemophobia, fear of blood, necrophobia, the fear of death, nyctophobia, the fear of darkness, philophobia, the fear of love. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. So brothers and sisters, give your fears to God. They belong to him. The story that you are telling yourself, let it be the story of Jesus. Your story is not your own. Your story is that of Christ dwelling within you and among us that we may live our lives in testimony and witness to his story. And even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even there he's with us and his goodness pursues us. So I answer the question, is God good? With a resounding yes.
And I say to you today, let the goodness of God be the story that you believe and that you live. Praise team, you can come up. We're going to transition to the table now. Here at Parker Ford Church, how we take communion is um, we have deacons that serve on either side. We have a gluten-free option. If you have uh, gluten allergies, um, there'll be uh, bread and juice on either side. Come down the center aisles, please, and return to your seats through the outer aisles. You come at your own pace. You won't be dismissed, so come whenever you're ready as the worship team plays. You can take the elements back to your seat, or you can uh, keep them, uh, or you can take them up front. If you're visiting with us today, if Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, um, then we invite you to participate with us in the remembrance of his broken body. He said, as often as you do this, you do it in remembrance of me. This is my body broken for you. And as often as we drink the cup, we do it in remembrance of him. This is his blood poured out for us for the remission of sins. Our God, our God, our God is a good God, and he has given his life for us. Jesus says we approach the table. May you be honored and blessed this morning. We thank you for your sacrifice, for your body and blood. We thank you that this is the story that you chose to believe and to tell, and that we get to indwell that story every day. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So from the very first generation of Christians, um, even like according to Paul's writings, and then uh, every single generation of Christians for the last 2,000 plus years up to today has, um, each generation has thought that they were living in the last time when Jesus would return. <laughs> and um, Jesus is going to return again. Jesus is coming, and his word says he's coming soon. But our job isn't to figure out when that's going to happen. Our job is to tell the story of Jesus. Let me explain that, because when, this is Acts chapter 1, when they had all come together, they asked Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Is this the time when you're going to culminate all things? Listen to what he said to them. He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. You'll be my storytellers. You are going to be the people who tell my story in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Our job is to tell the story of Jesus. To tell the story of Jesus from Genesis 1 to the end of the scriptures. Which means we have to be a people of the word who learn the word and embody the word. We are to tell the story of Jesus everywhere we go. Your life is a sacrament to God. It is a sacrament to God, meaning it is a sacred thing given to him. This is, this is Romans chapter 12. Therefore, brothers and sisters, offer ourselves as what? Living sacrifices to God, holy and pleasing, which is your acceptable act of worship. How do we do that? By living in the story of God. So brothers and sisters, may you believe the story, may you know the story, may you indwell the story, <laughs> and may people be drawn to the story through the way that you tell it. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.
Thank you so much for being with us today. You're a part of an awesome story. I hope you feel encouraged. Be blessed. Go with God.